Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space. This is Dr. Mark Shapiro. I have a peer and uh, co-podcaster with me today, Dr. Patty Barrett, who is a cardiologist and the host of the very popular podcast, The Dr. Paradox, has joined me today. And we're going to discuss some of the things that come up in his podcast on a regular basis, some of the themes that underlie it. He is an incredibly good speaker. His opinions are very well formed. His guests are outstanding. And so I'm very much looking forward to this. Patty, thank you so much for joining me. Mark, thank you so much for having me on the show. And I think your, your praise is a little bit too much. <laughs> so when your podcast first came out, the, obviously the first thing I saw was the logo and the title, The Doctor Paradox. And I had to stop for a minute and think to myself, what is he getting at? That is, that's, a, that's a big name. That's a, that's a good name. But what are we getting at here? Before I kind of dug into the content, gone to your website, started listening to some episodes, when you came to that title, when you said, that's the Eureka moment, this is it. I'm going with the Dr. Paradox because this is what we need to talk about. What was that? For me, it was down to the idea that as a practicing physician, um, I had certain experiences personally and also with so many of the physicians that I had encountered throughout my career. A lot of my family are in psychology. And if you look at the objective metrics of what it is to have a fulfilling career and a satisfying career, to have a sense of purpose, mastery, autonomy, the idea that you operate at the top of your license, that you get respect and a lot of prestige potential for monetary reward, that if you look at all of these boxes being ticked, and then you actually looked on the ground and looked at the statistics that exist around it in terms of people being satisfied in in their careers, there was a, a very significant gap. And for me, it was about exploring that gap in terms of the paradox was that we had the ideal jobs, yet so many people were unhappy in their jobs. It's an interesting dynamic because we all go into medicine with very lofty goals, heady aspirations. We're going to do all these amazing things. It's easy to lose sight of the fact that even though we may not be doing things on that scalable level, that the fact that we're interfacing with another human being to try to help them lead a better, healthier, safer life in a way we're kind of doing that. Um, do you feel like the disconnect is one born of what, what do you feel like the disconnect is born of? Let me frame it that way. Is it frame? Is it born of workload? Is it born of, uh, expectations not being met, prestige, money, whatever it may be? Is it born of um, patience? Is it born of lack of satisfaction and outcomes? What do you think is driving this disconnect? I think the the fundamental answer is, is death by a thousand paper cuts. <laughs> yeah. um, for each individual physician, it may be different. Uh -huh. um, one thing that I have learned, um, which somewhat surprised me, and this is a more global answer, is that if you look at the percentage of physicians um, who are, for example, dissatisfied with their work or, for example, burnt out, you're getting up in the kind of the 40 to 50% range for, for certain specialties. But if you actually look at, in general, society being unhappy with their work, the figures aren't hugely different. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it's not 
solely an issue with physicians. Maybe it's solely an issue with the idea of how we work within a societal yeah. context. Um, there are certain unique things that exist within the physician community. And I think everybody has their specific pain point. Um, but the reality is, is one in isolation is not going to account for the, the dissatisfaction that occurs. Yeah. It's an entire constellation of things in a smaller way that have aggregated together to create um, this dissatisfaction that occurs with certain physicians. And this is, I think, something that, you know, maybe I don't point out as often, but just because there are groups of physicians who are dissatisfied, it's not to say that there are huge percentages of physicians who are truly satisfied with their work, who go to work and lean into an immense problem and get huge satisfaction and joy out of their work. And that is just incredible to see. Um, it doesn't mean that their jobs are easy. It just means that they have set up their lives and their perspectives and outlooks um, on the challenges that they face are potentially in such a way that they have found a way to navigate around uh, these challenges. And the individual components uh, matter. Um, but what I've learned is what matters most is how you craft your perspective. Yeah, yeah. That piece of how you craft your perspective, the term that I was thinking of as you were talking, specifically that the part at the beginning of, of that around the numbers matching up with the rest of society, to me it's a framing question. Medicine, we frame it as something lofty. We do frame it as something larger. It's really hard to get into medical school. You work really hard to go through residency. We position it as being something different. And so when I think even those numbers around dissatisfaction are the same as something else, that is not okay. Um, because we want something better. I think we kind of expect it. We then do need to circle back and say, are, are we okay with it not being what we expected? And when it's not what we expected, how do we still make it good? How do we still make it enjoyable, satisfactory, and important? The At the outset of when I started to explore this um, a lot more deeply, um, about 18 months ago, um, I spent a lot of time reading around different areas, uh, one related to psychology of work satisfaction, but the other was actually something that I had found uh, my way into in terms of the ideas of, say, different philosophies, say, particularly Eastern philosophies. Mm -hmm. And I think what you're kind of alluding to is this whole concept of expectation mismatch. Mm -hmm. And that is at the core of all of these problems. Um, it is not to do with our realities. It's to do with our perceived distance from our desired realities. Mm -hmm. um, and that, for me, has been the, the clincher. It's when you have an expectation that you should have more prestige, that you should be out earlier, that you should earn more money, um, because there are certain societal expectations that have been set up. Um, say, for example, here in California, um, there are people who are in the tech industry and earn hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars, and you you have, on some level, this expectation, well, maybe I should do as well as that. Mm-hmm. And it's incorrect expectations. And Barry Schwartz, who is uh, the author of The Doctor Paradox, not The Doctor Paradox, oh my God, um, is The Paradox of Choice, is a Freudian slip, um, who has a, a TED talk about this, basically points to the key to happiness is low expectations. Yeah. Um, and I think the way to solve these problems in so many ways is to recognize your reality for what it is 
um, align your expectations and then work towards closing that gap, but not frustrating yourself doing it. It should be said, this is not unique to medicine. This is leverageable for any field. If you are, it doesn't matter what you're in. It doesn't, it's not even just about career. It's about activities, life, relationships, anything. Finding that mismatch and controlling it and narrowing it, um, it's, it's just vital. And it's something that it's hard to do if you don't quite understand it yet. And I think certainly in medicine, we don't understand that yet. One of the things you do on your show, though, that I think is incredibly satisfying and invigorating is the Dr. Paradox. I've never found it to be a place where we come to wallow. We don't go to the Dr. Paradox to say, yeah, this is all terrible and everything's rough and I'm working too hard and I don't make any money. And then, then, then it's not that at all. It's actually quite the opposite. It's people who are incredibly invigorated. It's people who are doing really interesting things. But coming back to that part of the motor that drives us is I'm a doc. I'm a doctor. I take care of other human beings. I do all this other stuff because I'm a doctor, but I'm a doctor at heart. Is that an intentional sort of underpinning of the show? Did you have to pivot at some point to say, wait a minute, we need to be on a different road. Where did that approach come from? The, that approach was actually very intentional right from the very start. Yeah. Um, and it was motivated by the very simple idea that the person who walks into medical school, be it overly naive or optimistic or ambitious, <laughs> right. set out to change the world. Yeah. And the reality is a lot of those people, maybe some of those people who walked into medical school did actually change the world Yes, and made huge impacts on the world. But my approach was somewhat twofold. Um, one was to, to look at those people and to not look at them and say, well, I feel bad that I haven't achieved that, but to also tell their story and to see how they actually struggled during their times in be it medical school, during training, um, be it during practice, that they faced enormous obstacles and challenges. And some of them um, were hugely impactful on their lives, but they managed to craft a way to navigate their way around it. Um, and to make it okay then for anybody who's going through a challenging time to recognize that it isn't going to be the thing that will be the defining moment in their career. That if you're going through a challenging time, that it is no different than anybody else. And that it doesn't prohibit you from achieving all the desires and goals and expectations that you had laid out. Do you have people outside of medicine coming to you to say, can we explore these same topics in engineering, law, marketing, whatever it may be, because this is not medicine. This is not unique to medicine. This is everyone. This is the, this is the shared experience. This happens all the time. Yeah. Um, the, the most common theme is one of my friends who's in a different specialty um, will come to me and say, uh, you know, Patty, I really like your podcast. I just realized that I could do the exact same podcast about my specialty. <laughs> right, right, right. And my immediate response is, well, then why don't you? Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, as, as I said, this is there are unique elements to this problem of yeah. being a physician, yeah. but the issues in general are much more global and reflective of society's uh, attitudes and relationship to work, how they spend their time, yeah. how they value, how they're going to put their life's work um, mm -hmm. in place. And I think we, we address uh, a, a section, as I said, that are, 
unique to medicine, but this is by no means a problem unique to healthcare. And then the counterpoint, the, the thing that people will often say is part of the problem, medicine being a big one, the term is burnout. You know, that term gets bandied about a ton. It is a very commonly used term. It's a very provocative term. Uh, people can use it as a form of leverage. Um, in medicine, more and more and more people talk about the subject of physician burnout. And I'll be honest, I have a very mixed opinion on the term. I think that it's fair to recognize that there may be a problem. Um, I think it's fair to recognize that physicians can only tolerate so much just like anybody else. Uh, I do think, though, that the more we use this term, the more this term comes out of our mouths, the more we're going to let this term define us, um, the more people are going to look at us from the outside and say they're all burned out. Um, and that's not a great way to be sort of labeled in the, in the, public, in the public eye. And I also worry that we're going to influence people who are coming into medicine or want to come into medicine where, like you say, if the reality is this is going to suck, guess what? It's going to suck. But the reality is not that it sucks. The reality is it's hard. It's a fulfilling job. You're going to work, but you will affect change every day. Where do you stand on this, I guess, paradox of the use of the word burnout? Um, I think it's it's actually very true. The, the conversation that I often have offline um, with uh, physicians, particularly older physicians, will talk about this idea that burnout didn't really exist when they were training. Um, and I have no doubt that physicians of that time, I'm sure, experienced very challenging times and had their own issues with dealing with challenging work conditions, with alcohol addiction, with substance addiction, etc. But the term wasn't near as ubiquitous. Mm. Um, and again, I think it speaks to the idea of expectation mismatch. Mm. Um, societally, in terms of how we have surrounded ourselves with the way that your life should be, um, has evolved and changed very significantly. Um, so I think there are certain expectations that exist. Um, being a trainee, that maybe you think that your life should be better. Um, but in reality, medical training is just so profoundly uh, challenging at times. And it's, again, about recognizing that. And it's about the attitudes you carry toward it. Um, in Sebastian Younger's uh, most recent book, Tribe, he talks about this idea of the attitudes of people during times of crisis and how you looked at the Blitz during wartime London. And when it ended people lamented its absence. They lamented this idea that they, they banded together as a tribe of people, had a shared sense of purpose and agency. Um, and that's what happens during your training. And it's about also trying to reframe your perspective that you are leaning into a huge problem with a band of brothers who are leaning into the same problem. And what happens, I think, is that if you have enough people who are saying that they're overtly burnt out, you begin to get this um, separation of the unit. And people then begin to fend for themselves um, in, a, in a defensive way, in terms of they're trying to defend themselves. Um, but when the group is trying to look after the group, um, I think you get better um, sense of cohesion and uh, less kind of dissonance and less dissatisfaction with your work. You just described what to me is the, is the 
the secret sauce. It's the answer. It's, it's the, it's, it solves the equation. You know, it's the, it's the key is that sense of shared purpose. I talk about this with my teams all the time, with my colleagues all the time. Uh, some of my most important mentors are people who talk about this idea of shared purpose, um, where we connect with something larger than ourselves so that we succeed together. But when it's hard, you have something else to worry about. You don't worry about yourself. You look at the person next to you and say, what can I do to help them? What can I do to make their day a little bit easier? There's no better way to derive satisfaction than to be able to look outside yourself when things are hard and say, what can I do to make their life a little bit easier? We do that all the time in medicine when we're trying to take care of patients. But when we're also in a large group or we're in a hospital setting or we're dealing with any challenge in any profession, that idea of when we can have a shared purpose, when we have a central dogma that we can connect to and we can go back to and reference and say, this is how we're going to take care of whatever job we're trying to do, but how we're also going to take care of each other. We're going to do job first, team second, me third. It's very, very compelling. And it helps people think about things in a way that is totally different, much more lofty, uh, and much more satisfying. And I totally agree with you. Um, there are subtle changes that have happened in in medicine and healthcare, and not unique to all hospitals, that I think have had profound impacts that um, have gone somewhat unrecognized. One of them for me is, and this has come up a couple of times on the podcast, is the doctor's lounge, for example. <laughs> the friendships and relationships, the uh, marriages that have come from it, the unions, the collaborative sense of togetherness, um, often came in those social settings of being uh, in the doctor's lounge. The non-official consults, the career advice, um, the perspective of how to deal with a certain attending or uh, department, mm -hmm. that gave you a sense of a team. Mm -hmm. And in certain places, those areas have been dissolved and we communicate in a much more digitally derived infrastructure and it's it's not to say that they have taken away entirely, but I think we need to promote a more personal connection. Um, and it's promoting the idea that it's a shared goal that a team is taking on together and that team cares about one another. Um, and I think that that solves so much. It's a huge driver of success in what I do in hospital medicine because you cannot function as a hospitalist in a, in a solo practice. It doesn't work. You have to have people around you. Uh, a hospital will demand that you have a team of hospitalists. You can't have one person managing all of the inpatients in, a, in an institution. And so then what is the things that we have to do to retain and to grow? Well, we have to mentor each other then how do we take care of each other? We help each other when it's busy. We let each other, we cover each other if someone wants to take time off. We make sure that, you know, we stop and grab a coffee in the afternoon. Like you say, it's these little details, but the cumulative effect is huge. And then it's that day-to-day -day anticipation of going in the next day saying, you know what? They're going to have my back. If I'm on call today and it's crazy busy, they're going to help me. I can reach out and everyone's going to help me and they're going to help me with an admission and they're going to see some extra patients and we're all going to be fine. And then the next time I'll do the same for them. With that, again, that shared purpose of let's take care of each other, let's, let's enjoy our careers, let's take great care of patients, let's be responsible for our institution's success. It's helping people see that those things are right there for the taking. And it's a skill set that people may not have, um, or it may have been drummed out of them even. So how do we access that again? How do we kind of get that forward facing so that when people go out, and again, it's not just medicine, 
like go out into anything where they're around others, they can leverage those tools that we know are drivers of satisfaction and happiness. I think they're really simple solutions, um, but they're solutions we have often moved away from. Um, when was the last time you moved to a new area, apartment house, and you walked out your door and just said hello to your neighbors? Yeah, well, that's a fair point. Um, when did you just put you on your phone and just go for a walk and you know ask somebody physically for directions? When was the last time you pulled into a gas station and said, "Can you excuse me? Can you tell me <laughs> how I get on the ninety-five? Right, right. right. Um, of course, it's easier to use GPS. Um, but you know, sometimes it's better to have an in-person face-to-face conversation and it's about fostering situations that can promote those. Um, it should be, and this isn't the solution for everyone and, and every hospital system. But when I worked in Australia, um, the reality is, is a lot of people will, you know, say drive to work so they can't say socialize after work, but the the way it worked um, was that the doctor's lounge, um, the hospital uh, administrators uh, filled it with beers and everyone had the agenda set up before that they were going to all just converge there at the end of the day on the Friday and people didn't bring their cars. They had organized other ways to actually um, get around and get home and it was just this natural meeting point. And the the work social cohesion is the cohesion that happens outside of work. Mm-hmm. That's that's when you really pull together, and that's when you create a team of people who will lie down in traffic for one another. Yeah, I'll pass you one of the things that I like. I don't have data behind it. This is all sort of my own observation, but it's things that have been handed down to me from from very smart people who have enjoyed their careers. That provides that same sort of glue, but it's on the day to day in the work setting. And it's just a simple passing of a compliment. I make a conscious effort and I don't mean to sound like I'm an angel or I'm really good. It's just something that I try to do because it helps me. I'll be honest. It's a kind of, there's a little bit of an agenda because it makes me feel good is to pass a compliment every day. Someone on my team, nurse, phlebotomist, radiology tech, lead, somebody, Hey, that was a really good job. Thank you for doing that. Fist bump, handshake. I appreciate that. That was really helpful. One of the things about being a doctor that just never goes away is you all you are always recognized as the leader in the room. And when the leader of any enterprise passes a compliment, it is so impactful. And you can see people just light up. And, you know, a nurse calls you and says, hey, I just want to let you know I'm seeing something. I think you need to know about it. Can you come take a look? And you go and they're right and they helped you. You got to tell them, hey, that was a great catch. Thank you. This was really important. And I appreciate that. Good job. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let your lead nurse know this was good. They'll never forget that. And it's really impactful for them. It's good for the enterprise because it's going to help retention. It's good for you because you're going to feel like you're contributing to the morale of your team. It's just these little details that we can pass along to each other that we may not think about unless someone says it. And you're like, oh, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. It definitely makes a difference. And what happens is is you create an institutional mentality. Yeah. If you have enough people and a collective group of individuals who are passing compliments, and that is the institutional mentality, you will create a, an ethos that exists mm-hmm. within your institution, that that becomes the norm. And unfortunately, the inverse is also true. And yeah. we all are aware of people who will describe their work environments as a malignant environment mm-hmm. or a toxic environment. And that is because of the same basically propagation of personal behavioral traits. 
um, but just in a negative sense. But the positive is totally true. And I would say probably has more momentum when applied. Mm-hmm. Are you finding as you're putting the episodes of the Dr. Paradox out into the world, is, do you, when people come back and they give you feedback, is the needle moving? Is the needle moving in one direction or another? I think the, the needle is moving yeah. um, for a variety of reasons. Um, one is, is that so many people will reach out to me and identify with the fact that this is also their story. Uh-huh. That they legitimately thought that they were possibly the only ones or that they were a very small minority of people who were facing the same challenges. They have a tribe. They Absolutely. have a community. And that's what they they gravitate toward. Yeah. Gravitate toward. Yeah. The idea that there is a group of individuals who are tackling the same challenges. Right. And also that you're providing a framework that they can manage and that they can navigate their way out of this. That's the key thing, is it's not a community where people will come to wallow and say, yeah, boy, we have it rough. Oh, I wish it was different. It's Let's make it different. Let's think about a way that we can make this reality different and make this better going forward. And I think that that's going to continue to draw more and more people in because people want that energy. They want to find a shared purpose that's meaningful to them. As things go forward, what does the road forward for the Dr. Paradox look like? What, what shapes are it gonna, is it going to take over the months and years to come? For me, when I started this, um, <clears throat> I said I would give it six months. Yeah. And I had no pre-specified agendas in terms of how it would grow or evolve. I just wanted to have the conversation for six months yeah. and then see what happened. Um, what has happened, um, I could never have anticipated um, nor planned. And just to be full disclosure, what has happened is six-figure listenership downloads, over 100 countries listening to The Dr. Paradox. I mean, we're talking about impact on a level that it's difficult for a singular physician voice to have. I think that's a fair statement. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think so. And it, it, it's still even, you know, we were speaking about this before. It still surprises me that someone who isn't my mother uh, listens <laughs> right. to my podcast. Right, um, right. And I, it's, there are very kind of, there are occasional times when somebody will say to somebody I know about this podcast that they're listening to, and it will be my podcast. Yeah. Um, and that to me is totally bizarre. Um, that ultimately that you're saying something and that people are listening and that it's making a difference. Yeah. And what I've learned is, and I would, you know, if I had one ask for your audience is that, you know, don't think that what you have to say isn't important. Mm-hmm. And if it would be the thing that maybe would make a difference, um, have get a platform to, to talk about it. Um, you will have those initial hesitations that who am I to have this conversation? Who am I to be this pseudo expert in this area? And you will have the anxiety around your peers, for example, your professional peers, your friends, maybe talking in such a way of, you know, why is he having that conversation? But always recognize that if you're addressing a problem, there will be people who need this information and content desperately. And think of them, not the people who will potentially criticize you. Yeah. I would ask you to stay on message uh, as you go forward. And as this program continues to evolve, the message of 
recognizing an issue and providing narrative and a framework for people to build skill sets around making it better. There's huge value there. Um, so stay on message, keep doing the same thing. And the paradox will eventually begin to unspool itself a little bit, but thank you very much for coming on the show. This is, it's motivating stuff and it's stuff that anyone I think can, can take things away from and leverage and put into practice in their own life. Uh, even though it's called the doctor paradox, it's, it's the life paradox. It's the, how do we make ourselves happy and satisfied paradox? And so go forward and stay on message for people to find your message. Where do they find you? Where do they find the doctor paradox? Easiest way is to type uh, the doctor paradox into Google or type it into your podcast uh, search on iTunes, Stitcher, whichever platform you listen on and uh, you'll find me there. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on Explore the Space. This has been a fabulous conversation and we'll see where, we'll see where the paradox takes us the next time. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com and please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show and you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.